So, you have a nice DSLR camera, or you want to buy one, but it doesn't have a built-in intervalometer to use for time-lapse. What are your options? Let's talk about that on this week's episode of The Time-Lapse Show. Hello fellow time-lapsers, I'm video producer and photographer Steve Barth, and this is show number 9 for the week beginning August 19th, 2018. For last week's show, I produced a short time-lapse film with a variety of cameras and lenses and intervalometers and motion control systems, all to test out certain parts of time-lapse photography. But this week, we're back in the studio, we're back with our regular format to continue on in our deep dive to discuss different cameras so that you know which cameras you're interested in buying to join in this time-lapse fun. This week, I'm focusing exclusively on DSLR-style cameras that don't have a built-in intervalometer. So I'll be talking about the basics of DSLR style photography. I'll talk about exactly what that means. I'll talk about what it is you need to get to make sure you've got all the right gear for time-lapse using that style of camera. And finally, I'll be covering different types of external intervalometers so you know what you need to get in addition to that DSLR style camera. There's a lot of different styles available on the marketplace from apps to devices to remotes, all sorts of different things. So make sure you watch through so you can see what all of your options are because some of them you may find are even free. So all of you professional photographers, the first half of the show might feel a little basic, but if you continue on to the second half, you might find some useful information there all about different styles of intervalometers that you can choose from. Intervalometer. So let's define our terms because a lot of people can get confused. When we talk about cameras, you often hear me say the term DSLR. What exactly is a DSLR? DSLR stands for Digital Single Lens Reflect. So what we're talking about here is kind of the bigger style camera. You've got kind of the rectangular body with a large lens that's removable that's out front. This is a DSLR camera. Now where this comes from is years ago, uh, back before the digital age, uh, this style of camera was called an SLR. It's called Single Lens Reflect. What that means is that inside the camera, there is a mirror. What you can do as a photographer is you can look through the viewfinder and that takes the image and sends it out through the lens. So what you're actually looking through when you look through the viewfinder is the image that the lens is going to capture. Now, back in the day, images used to be captured on film and that film is light sensitive. So as light comes through the lens, you want to make sure that that film is not exposed. So you've got a mirror that sits in here at about a 45 degree angle. And when you hit the button, that mirror pops up exposing the film, and then it pops back down into place so that you can continue to see through the viewfinder. What that does is it generates a clicking sound that you commonly hear associated with these type of cameras. That's that mirror moving up and down to expose the film. That's why it's called a single lens. It's got the single lens. It reflects the picture so that you can see it. Single lens reflect. Now that we're in the digital age, we've added the D, the digital, to the front of it to designate digital single lens reflex camera, hence the DSLR name. So when you hear DSLR cameras, just remember, we're talking about bigger cameras with removable lenses where what you see through the viewfinder is actually looking through the lens itself. So one of the most common questions that I get when people find out that I'm a photographer is they say, Steve, what kind of camera should I buy? Uh. That's a tough question to answer, especially when you're talking about DSLR cameras. There are so many of these guys on the market. 
there's a lot of different brands. There's a lot of different styles. You know, buttons are going to be in different places for each one. What do I recommend? Well, first thing I recommend trying to get one that has a higher megapixel count. So that's going to look at the overall quality of the camera. And if you can get one with a really high megapixel or resolution count, that's going to future proof you for a few years as these things continue to evolve. My next big suggestion really is just to hold it in your hand and see if you like the, the feel of it. Uh, for instance, I'm a big guy. I've, I've got big hands. Uh, <laughs> so for me, there's going to be some cameras that they just, they're not comfortable for me to hold. Um, how's the weight of the camera? Is this something that you can take with you um, and survive a several hour hike if that's the kind of thing you want to do? You know, are you going to be able to push all the buttons? Is it easy to control? The best thing to do is go to a place, you know, go to a camera store, pick out a camera, hold it in your hand and see if it really works for you. See if you can do everything you want it to do. That's that's kind of my biggest suggestion. Um, people seem to have their favorite brands, but I'm not going to go into all of that today. Suffice it to say, find one that fits your hand, that does what you need to do, that has a good resolution count, and you should be good to go. Now, one thing to note when looking at cameras is that typically cameras at this level are sold body only. So if you see that on a listing, that means all you're getting is what is here. What you also need to get is the lens. And so... This is where the money really is, is the lens. What kind of lens you get, what kind of glasses in there, what kind of features it gets, that is where you really need to invest. Important to note that lenses are nice and strong. They are sturdy. Lenses will outlive your camera probably by a lot. So make sure you're investing really well in lenses as that's going to be vital for you. Now, let's talk lenses for just a minute. It's important to note, let, let's, for sake of discussion, and to try to make this as least confusing as possible, let's say that you want to look at something equivalent to what your eyes are seeing. Now, we're going to put a number on that for, again, sake of discussion. That number is 50. So, lenses are rated in millimeters as far as how far, how wide they can see or how close up they can see. 50 millimeters is pretty much what the human eye can see. So if you're looking at a sign in front of you and you're wanting to take a picture of that sign and you have a 50 millimeter lens, when you hold that camera up to your eye, that that sign is going to be pretty much in the same place that you can see with your eyes. So what that means is if you're looking at lenses online and you see a lens that says, say, a 70 millimeter, well, that means it's going to be a little bit zoomed in from what your eye can see. You're going to be able to get a little bit closer to that subject. Um, so if a lens is say 300 millimeters, for instance, I shoot a lot of soccer and sports photography. If I'm on the sidelines, I want a 300 millimeter lens so that I can zoom in and see exactly what's happening close up on the field. So that's what those numbers are about. Now back to time-lapse. What you really want for time-lapse photography is a really wide lens. You want to be able to see behind what your eyes can see or have a, a bigger view than what your eyes can pick up. And so we look at like low numbers. For instance, I use a 10 millimeter lens for time-lapse. That helps me to really see wide angle shots and make really good use of, of skies. So that said, here is a 10 millimeter lens. It actually zooms from 10 millimeters to 18 millimeters. But this lens that I'm showing you on the screen right now retails for about $269. Now, 
This lens here is also a 10 millimeter lens. It's a 10 to 22. This lens retails for $649. So the common question that people ask, especially spouses who know that camera gear is expensive, is they're like, why do I have to pay $650 for a lens when I can get the exact same thing for $250? Well, with lenses, it's important to know that, again, you're going to get what you pay for. Um, typically, in higher-priced lenses, you're going to have higher-quality glass, and you're going to have higher-quality features. Now, a quick story just to illustrate this. You know, this is a podcast. I'm allowed to get a little chatty. It's okay. But a quick story just to kind of show you why this type of thing is important. Last year, I had the opportunity to do a bunch of filming over in Uganda. Uh, I was there for a week to get this short film done. And as we were brainstorming ideas for this short film, our producers and our clients, we were all meeting together and they said, what we really want is we want this, this film to open up with a time-lapse shot that's, that's filmed over on a lake in the middle of Uganda. So while we were there, we were based out of a small town uh, kind of in the middle of the country called Sorodi. Uh, the place we needed to get to to do this particular time-lapse shot was an hour west of town. So we needed to be there like right really, really early in the morning. Um, so we loaded up gear at about 3 in the morning. It took an hour to drive from Sorodi out to the location. So we were there by 4. It Yeah, really, really early morning. But we had to be there and be set up prior to that first light. So now imagine we're there, we're setting up. It is completely pitch dark. And when you're setting up in the dark and you're looking through the camera viewfinder, you can't focus on <laughs> anything. You're not going to see anything in that viewfinder. You're getting ready to set up your gear for what's bound to be a two or three hour long shot and you can't focus your lens. That's a little bit scary as a professional photographer. Good morning. So one of the things you'll notice is on the inexpensive lens, this guy has just a little focus ring on it. It can spin and spin and spin and spin. You're never going to be able to see what's in focus and what's not. It's pretty much depending on using the autofocus settings, which do no good when you're trying to manually focus uh, at four o'clock in the morning in complete pitch blackness. So one of the things that I noticed that I, that I really like in this lens, the, the, the 10 millimeter one that I have, is it's got visual you know, a little style there so that I can see exactly what is in focus. I can visually, without looking through the camera, visually looking at the lens, tell when it's focused on its maximum settings so that I know, okay, the focus is correct. Now, as you go up in price on lenses, for instance, Sony lenses and so forth, the really expensive stuff, they're going to have more visual markings on the outside to help you know things like that when they're in focus and what your aperture is and all that kind of stuff. Um, you're not going to get that on less expensive lenses. So again, so that you don't get into a situation where you can't focus and you can't get the shots, especially if you've traveled all the way to Uganda, make sure that the lens you have does what you need it to do. 
One of the things I highly recommend when you're going to buy lenses is to try them first. There are several companies out there that allow you to rent lenses. I've used them both. I'm not a sponsor for, for any of these. Um, so you know, check them both out. But one is www.borrowlenses.com. Uh, the other is www.lenspro2go.com. Again, I've used them both. They're really quality services, but this allows you to get a lens, try it for a couple days. Prices are really inexpensive, and that way you can tell if it has the features you want before you invest the high dollar amounts that lenses typically are. Okay, so now you've gotten your camera body because you went and you tried them out. <laughs> you've got your lens because you rented one and found one that you like at first. So now just add a tripod to the mix and we'll cover tripods, the ins and outs of tripods in a future show. But suffice it to say, you need something with three legs so that it's stable. Uh, you need something with a little bit of weight on it so that it doesn't just tip over. Uh, be leery of the Walmart you know, $20 tripods. Those are not the greatest quality in the world. So get a, a nice tripod and set up your camera and now you're ready to go. So now we come back to, again, the basic question that we started the show with, which is this camera that I have... For instance, I use the Canon 70D. It does not have a built-in intervalometer. What in the world do I do now? There are a few choices here. Let's go through the different styles of intervalometer that you can get. Let's start with the easiest, probably the best solution overall, and that is a remote control. That's one of these guys. So <clears throat> if you go onto Google, and you Google your camera's model. So I Google Canon 70D external intervalometer remote. You're going to find a lot of different purchasing options for it. Uh, again, it, typically it looks like this. It's going to be wired into the camera, which is great because that creates a lot of reliability. With this little guy, I pretty much set in all of my particulars as far as how often I want it to shoot and let it go. And it can do some amazing things. So easiest solution uh, they're a little bit spendy, usually in the you know eighty to one hundred thirty dollar range. Uh, so add that into the cost of your camera if you're wanting to do time lapse. But this is probably the overall easiest, simplest um, option that you've got. Because remember, when you're doing a shot that is going to potentially last three or four hours, you want to make sure that everything is is functioning correctly. And this is kind of your best bet as far as that goes. There are other options as well. Um, for instance, I feel like this is show and tell day. <laughs> now, many times you might be interested in shooting with some sort of a motion control, uh, type of setup. Uh, this is for time-lapse where you kind of see movement that goes through, whether it's moving you know, circularly or, you know, on a slider type of thing. But a lot of this gear will have intervalometers built into it. So for instance, ooh, this guy's old <laughs> and heavy. I think I bought one of the original ones. Uh, when Syrup very first started out, uh, I bought one of the first models off of them uh, at the NAB show a long time ago. So I do use, it's called the, the, the Syrup Genie. Uh, this does go on a tripod or it can go on a slider and move back and forth. A lot of different options. And I'll go through a lot of the Syrup products in a future show. But... This does have a built-in intervalometer. I can have it fully control the camera. There's a cable that goes from here into my camera, so it all is nice and controlled. So this is an example of a product that has an actual built-in intervalometer that sits within the product itself. Now, Syrup this last year came out with a new version. It's called the Genie Mini, 
which I have one of those. This is great because it does swivel, I can control it, but instead of having to set everything up on the device itself, I use an app on my phone. The app then connects with the Serb Genie Mini. It sends it all of the information it needs and what movement to do. It begins its, its movement and then I take my phone, walk away. I don't have to be actually standing next to the product the whole time as it's shooting. So had a lot of good success with the, with this guy. And again, we'll go through all the different SERP products in a future show. As a quick teaser for another upcoming episode, I tend to be a nut for tech camera gear. And so when I see certain ads, I often can spend some money. <laughs> be careful. But one of the biggest products for photographers on Kickstarter was called Arsenal. I did get an Arsenal this last week. Um, I have not had a chance to play with it yet. So I'm in the process of testing that. I'll do a full show again in the future on the ins and outs of, of shooting with Arsenal and a review on the product as well to see if it does what I'd hoped it was going to do. But you got to give me time to do that. If any of you have arsenals, if you've gotten those over the summer because they just started shipping and have feedback or ideas on them, I'd love to hear them. Email me. That way I can uh, see what you guys think of them as well. Now, a few people have asked me about this one. I'm a little almost reluctant to talk about it on the show because they are out of business now. But there is another uh, type of uh, intervalometer out there. It's controlled by your phone. It's called a trigger trap. Um, what you do is you buy a, a cable, a specific cable for your camera and for your type of phone. The, the cable plugs from your camera to the phone, and then you can control everything through an app there. Now, the reason I'm reluctant again to bring this up is they are out of business. The app has been open sourced, so that can kind of be helpful. And you can still find the, the, the cables uh, through Amazon or eBay. But keep in mind, as far as support goes, if things don't go right, um, <laughs> you're kind of on your own because the company's out of business. I did have some mixed results when using Trigger Trap. I did notice that when I was using it, it really sucked the heck out of my battery on my phone. So I always had to go into a situation with a full uh, phone battery. But uh, it also kind of crashed a few times in the middle of a time lapse. So I don't really recommend this route, but it is out there. Now, finally, what a lot of people don't realize is if you go to things like the App Store and you search even the web for intervalometers, there's a lot of options out there, uh, a lot of products out there, you know, remotes, all sorts of different things. But the manufacturers themselves help you out by building things you can use as intervalometers. So for instance, again, uh, I'm going back to what I know from my Canon. Canon does create a piece of software. You can load it onto a laptop and it is free. It's called EOS Remote. Now, some people frown when I say the word free because <laughs> free does not mean free, free. They're assuming you have the supported camera. They're assuming you have the laptop. <laughs> Um, a lot of times you can get the software on CDs. You, you get the camera, you open up the box, you got the CDs in there. Most people pitch the CDs and just grab the camera and start shooting. Um, but there is quality software that's on those. Uh, if you didn't save your CDs, don't worry, you can go onto the web. Uh, just go to Canon's website, for instance, for this one. Um, and you can download that app. But what the app allows you to do is you can control your camera from a laptop. And... It allows intervalometer settings as well. So you can go in. So you can go in. You can tell it, okay, I want it to shoot you know, with this type of interval. And there's a lot of cool things you can do. Now, keep in mind, that does mean you have to take a laptop with you to your shoot. And you have to have it you know, within close Wi-Fi range of your camera. But 
if you don't want to spend the money on the remotes, if you don't want to spend the money on the apps or the motion control devices, there are options so that you can inexpensively add intervalometer settings to your camera, even if it doesn't come built in. So as a quick recap, you've got remotes, simple, a little bit expensive, but simple and stable. You have motion control devices with built-in intervalometers, uh, all sorts of those out there. You've got apps on the App Store that you can use. Um, you've got uh, you've got software that runs on your laptop that can be downloaded for free. So there's really a lot of different options out there if you want to take your basic camera and set up and add an intervalometer to it so that you can do time-lapse photography. So that leads us to this week's question of the week, which is this. What type of external intervalometer do you use? Are you using you know, a wired remote? Are you using a motion control device? Are you using an app? What is it that you're using that gives you the best results? Would love to hear what works for you and we can share those ideas on a future show. So if you're watching the YouTube version, just go down below, leave us some comments as far as what you find works best for you. If you're listening to the audio podcast, just email us at show at thetimelapseshow.com and we can again feature those answers on a future upcoming show. In our time-lapse clip of the week, in the past, you've seen a lot of really pretty scenic, like, you know, out in the countryside, skies, flowing lava sometimes, uh, storms, mother nature at her best in time-lapse photography. But what if you really like doing city work? What if you really want some ideas for some cityscapes? That's where this week's clip of the week comes in. This comes from Vimeo user named Rhythm. The actual time-lapse part of this video starts about 40 seconds in, but essentially this is a love letter to the city of Vancouver, British Columbia, and there's a lot of really cool shots in here. So check it out. This should give you some great ideas if you're interested in going out and time-lapsing the city away, but check it out. Definitely worth your time, and it's a great video. So let's wrap up the show for this week. Thanks for enduring my show and tell of all sorts of external intervalometers. If you have questions about these or any part of the show, make sure to let me know. Send me an email at show at thetimelapseshow.com and that way I can answer it. You can also contact us on all of our different social media accounts. There's, there's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all sorts of different things out there to help keep you in the loop as far as things that I find interesting in the world of time-lapse photography. Now, if you want to send us a message, again, I already shared that email address, you can call the show as well. Our voicemail is 541-321-0472. Love to hear from you, and we can play those, those voicemails on a future show. If you're watching on YouTube, you can go down here, somewhere down here, and hit that subscribe button. You can also click the notification button so that when we post new episodes, you can get notified of that. If you're listening on iTunes or iPods or somewhere in the podcast world, head over to iTunes, leave us a review. That way other people can find out about the show as well. That does help. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And with that, grab a camera and go speed up the world.